Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Neil O'Brien. Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, this week the UK plays host to the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting. I know the whole House will want to join me in welcoming leaders from 52 countries to London, who, who collectively represent a third of the world's population. Over the coming days, we will discuss a range of shared priorities, from oceans and cyber security to continuing to tackle malaria and ensuring all children have access to 12 years of quality education. With 60% of the Commonwealth under the age of 30, the summit will have a particular focus on how we revitalise the organisation to ensure its continuing relevance, especially for young people. Meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Neil O'Brien. Mr Speaker, the whole House will be aware of the stories of uh, people who came to this country from the Commonwealth more than 45 years ago. People who are facing the anxiety of being asked for documents they cannot provide to prove their right to reside in the country that they call home. Will the Prime Minister update the House on what she and the Government are doing to provide reassurance in these cases? Prime Minister! My, my My Honourable Friend has raised a very important issue which I know has caused a great deal of concern and anxiety, so I would like to update the House. People in the Windrush generation who came here from Commonwealth countries have built a life here, they've made a massive contribution to the country. These people are British, they are part of us. And I want to be absolutely clear, I want to be absolutely clear that we have no intention of asking anyone to leave who has the right to remain here. And and for those who have mistakenly received letters challenging them, I want to say to apologise to them, and I want to say sorry to anyone who has been caused has confusion or anxiety felt as a result of this. But I want to be clear with the House how this has arisen. Those Commonwealth citizens, yes, those. The House must calm down. The Prime Minister is responding to the question. There will be a very full opportunity for questioning of the Prime Minister on this occasion, as there is on every occasion. But the questions must be heard and the answers must be heard. The Prime Minister. Thank you. Let me update the House on how this has arisen. Those Commonwealth citizens who arrived before 1973 and were settled here have a right conferred by the 1971 Immigration Act to live in the UK. They were not required to take any action with the Home Office to document their status. The overwhelming majority already have the immigration documents they need, but there are some who, through no fault of their own, do not. And those are the people we're working hard to help now. My right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has made clear a new dedicated team. A new dedicated team is being set up to help these people evidence their right to be here and access services and it will aim to resolve cases within two weeks once the evidence has been put together. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last month, I raised the case of Albert Thompson, a man who has lived and worked here for decades, paid his taxes, and yet been denied National Health Service treatment. The Prime Minister brushed it off. 
will she say what she will now do to ensure that Mr Thompson gets the cancer treatment he urgently needs and is entitled to? Prime Minister. The right honourable gentleman did indeed raise the case of Albert Thompson. It was not brushed off. The Home Office. No. The Home Office have been in contact with Mr Thompson's representatives. I want to make. First of all, I want to make one point very clear that no urgent treatment should be withheld by the NHS, regardless of ability or willingness to pay. I also want to make clear that, as it happens, Mr Thompson is not part of the Windrush generation that I have just spoken about in answer to the first question. Uh, And finally, clinicians have been looking at Mr Thompson's case, and he will be receiving the treatment he needs. Mr Speaker, on the 20th of March, the Prime Minister wrote to me stating, while I sympathise with Mr Thompson, we encourage him to make the appropriate application and provide evidence of his settled status here. Yesterday, we learnt that in 2010, the Home Office destroyed landing cards for a generation of Commonwealth citizens and so have told people, we can't find you in our system. Did the Prime Minister, the then Home Secretary, sign off that decision? Prime Minister. No, the decision to destroy the landing cards was taken in 2009 under a Labour government. I said the Prime Minister must be heard, the Leader of the Opposition must be heard, and he will be. Jeremy Corbyn. All the evidence suggests. Order, order! There was a lot of this yesterday, very noisy and extremely stupid barracking. It must stop now. That is the end of the matter. The public absolutely despise that type of behaviour from wherever in the House it takes place. Cut it out and grow up. Jeremy Corbyn. Could I remind the Prime Minister it was her government that created, in quotes, a really hostile environment for immigrants and her government that introduced the 2014 Immigration Act. Mr Speaker... I think we need some absolute clarity on the question of the destruction of the landing cards. And if she's trying to blame officials, I remind her, I remind her of what she said in 2004 when she said she was sick and tired of government ministers who simply blame other people when things go wrong. Does she stand by that advice? Mr. The right honourable gentleman asked me if the decision to destroy the landing cards, the decision to destroy the landing cards, had been taken in my time as Home Secretary. The decision to destroy the landing cards was taken in 2009, and as I seem to recall, in 2009 it was a Labour Home Secretary who was in position. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, it was under a Tory government, and she was Home Secretary at that time. And that is what is causing such pain and such stress to a whole generation. And on Monday, the Home Secretary told the House, I'm concerned 
that the Home Office has become too concerned with policy and strategy and sometimes loses sight of the individual. Who does the Prime Minister think is to blame for this? The current Home Secretary or her predecessor? Prime Minister! I say to the right honourable gentleman, the Home Office is a great Department of State which touches people's lives every day in a whole variety of ways. My right, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has been swift in responding to this issue of the uh, un- unfortunate confusion and anxiety for which we have apologised, which has arisen from the Windrush generation. The Right Honourable Gentleman referred earlier to action that we had taken as a Conservative Government to deal with illegal immigration. Can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that I think it is absolutely right that we ensure that people who access our services that are paid for by taxpayers, that are relied on by people living in this country, have a right to do so, that we take action against people who are here illegally. The Windrush generation are here legally. They have a right to be here. They are British. But if he if he wants to question the issue of taking action against illegal immigration, I, suspect he, I suggest he has a conversation with the former Shadow Home Secretary, the Right Honourable Member for Normanton, Castleford and Pontefract, who in 2013 said we need much stronger action from government to bring illegal immigration down. Mr Speaker, this isn't about illegal immigration. This is about Commonwealth citizens who had every right to be here. Cases like Mr Thompson's have occurred because it was Home Office policy in 2012 to create the really hostile environment for migrants. And she was the Home Secretary that sent Home Office vans around Brent telling migrants to go home. Mr Speaker, on Monday, the Immigration Minister said that some British citizens had been deported in error. The Home Secretary didn't know and then asked Commonwealth High Commissioners if they knew of any cases. So does the Prime Minister know how many British citizens have been wrongly deported, where to and what provisions she's made to bring them back home to Britain? The immigration, as the immigration has made clear, we apologise unreservedly for the distress that is being caused to anyone who may have been told incorrectly that they do not have the right to be in the UK. We are not aware of any specific cases of a person being removed from the UK in these circumstances, and we have absolutely no intention of asking anyone to leave who has the right to remain here. But the work will be done by the Home Office to reach out to those from this Windrush generation who may be do not have the necessary documentation to ensure that that is provided. There will be no cost to them. Nobody will be out of pocket as a result of this. There is a difference between the Windrush generation, who are British, who are part of us, who have a right to be here, and we want to ensure that we give them the reassurance of that right, and those other people who are here illegally. And I think it is absolutely right that the government should make every effort to ensure that people who access our services have a right to do so and that we take action against people who are here illegally. Mr Speaker, I'm uh, informed that Mr Albert Thompson has still not been informed when he will be getting the treatment he obviously needs as a matter of urgency. 
Doesn't the Home Office keep records? It's been months since these cases were first brought to the government's attention. We know of at least two British citizens languishing in detention centres in error. And this morning, the Jamaican Prime Minister has said he knows of people who are unable to return to Britain. Mr Speaker, this is a shameful episode and the responsibility for it lies firmly at the Prime Minister's door. Her pandering to bogus immigration targets led to, led to a hostile it led to a hostile environment from people contributing to our country. It led to British citizens being denied NHS treatment, losing their jobs, homes and pensions thrown into detention centres like criminals and even deported, vital historical records shredded and ministers blaming officials. Mr Speaker, the Windrush generation came to our country after the war to rebuild our nation that had been so devastated by war. Isn't the truth? Isn't the truth, Mr Speaker, that under her the Home Office became heartless and hopeless? And doesn't she now run a government that is both callous and incompetent? Prime Minister! As I, as I have said, the Windrush generation did come here after the war. They did help to build this country. Many of them worked in our public services. They contributed. They have... They have a right to be here. They are British. And that is why we are working with those who have no documentation to ensure that they have that provided for them. The decision was taken in 1971 not to require them to have documentation. That's what's led to the problem that we now see in relation to the anxiety for these people. But the right honourable gentleman calls the right honourable gentleman talks. The right honourable gentleman talks about being callous and having a disregard for people. I have to say to him that I am the Prime Minister who initiated the race disparity audit, which said, what are we doing in this country to ensure that people have equal opportunities in this country? And, and following, can I say to the right honourable gentleman, he talks about being callous. I will not take that. Following a debate last night, contributions were made, particularly by the members from Stoke-on-Trent North, from Barking and Liverpool-Wavertree. I will not take an accusation of callous from a man who allows anti-Semitism to run right in his Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. Um, a few weeks ago, a gentleman from Islington called Jeremy visited my constituency of Carlisle. He brought with him a vision of 1970s Britain. When Theresa from Maidenhead next comes to Carlisle, can she reassure the people of Carlisle that she will bring a vision of 21st century Britain, which includes the ideals of freedom, opportunity, choice, personal responsibility, and most importantly of all, national security? Well, can I, can 
I assure my honourable friend that Theresa from Maidenhead would bring exactly that. And I am very pleased to see that, to, that in yesterday's unemployment figures we say, see employment in this country at a record high. So we will, any, uh, any visit to Carlisle will be about jobs, it will be about the future, it will be about the national security, our commitment to spend 2% of our GDP uh, on our defence, our commitment to ensure that we have the powers for our intelligence services and law enforcement agencies that they need to keep us safe. And I look forward to my visit to Carlisle. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with her Secretary of State, who is just sitting along from her, that the rape clause provides victims with double support? Can I say to the Russian I know this is an issue that has been raised a number of times in this House, and that does, uh, it is an incredibly sensitive issue. And of course, I fully recognise the sensitivities that are involved for the mothers involved. We have taken great care, uh, a considerable time and care, to set up uh, procedures following extensive consultations that mean that no government staff will question these mothers about what they're experienced. What my right honourable friend, the point my right honourable friend was making was that a mother will be granted the exemption through engaging with specialist professionals like health and social workers who may be able to provide them with support in those circumstances over and beyond the issue of their entitlement. Ian Blackford. I have to say that's not quite the point that the Secretary of State made when she seemed to offend all the, the meeting of the Parliament in Edinburgh. Mr Speaker, rape crisis Scotland have been clear. Hanging benefits on proving trauma isn't a choice. It is a disgrace and one which may well re-traumatise the women involved. The chair of the British Medical Association in Scotland has said it is fundamentally damaging for women, forcing them to disclose rape and abuse at a time and in a manner not of their choosing, at pain of financial penalty. Mr Speaker, this is the form with a box for the child's name. What kind of society do we live in? Prime Minister... We live, we live in a society where we have taken every care to ensure that this is dealt with in as sensitive a manner as possible. That is why the Government took considerable time and made extensive consultations in putting the arrangements in place. As I say, nobody, nobody will be, uh, no mother in these circumstances will be uh, granted the exemption by dealing with job centre staff. They will be granted the exemption by dealing with specialist professionals. Scott Mann. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I add my support to the Prime Minister for the action she took at the weekend regarding the use of chemical weapons in Syria? Prime Minister, we have a huge disparity in Cornwall between average house prices and average wages. Many families working earning between £15,000 and £20,000 a year would need to earn ten times their income for an open market house, with the average salary in Cornwall being about £18,000 a year. The challenges of housing delivery are fundamentally different in urban areas compared to rural and coastal ones. And I know my right honourable friend cares deeply about getting people onto the housing ladder. Will she therefore meet with me and a group of rural and coastal MPs to discuss how we can tackle this vital issue? Uh, my honourable friend raises a very important point, and he's absolutely right to do so. Home ownership 
is a dream that people have, sadly, that too many young people today feel they're not going to be able to achieve that dream. And although we have been having success, uh, last year we saw more homes built than in any but one of the last 30 years, and we do need to ensure that we are helping people into home ownership, seeing more homes being built, and I'd be happy to meet with uh, my honourable friend and others to discuss this matter. Dr Philippa Whitford. Thank Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. I welcome the Prime Minister's consultation on domestic abuse, particularly the recognition of financial abuse. Yet the Government insists on paying universal credit into just one household account, making women more financially vulnerable. 85% of abuse survivors say they wouldn't have dared request split payments as a special measure, as it would have worsened abuse. So will the Prime Minister listen to the calls of women's charities and make split payments of universal credit the norm? Can I say to the Honourable Lady that actually, as I understand it, it is possible for special arrangements to be made for split payments, for split payments to be made. Uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence is uh, a terrible abuse, a terrible crime that we must deal with. But as I understand it, it is possible for arrangements to be made for split payments. David Trudini. Is, is the Prime Minister aware that along the length of the A5 from the M1 junction to Staffordshire, over the next 12 years it's proposed to build upwards of 50,000 houses and develop 2,000 acres, acres for new businesses? Is she further aware that this road is in part still single carriageway? And will she discuss with the Secretary of State for Transport releasing £10 million to get the next stage of the expressway project going? Minister. To my honourable friend, I'm, I'm very much aware of the key role that's played by the A5 uh, in the Midlands and the plans for growth, the plans for new housing, as he has referred to, along the route, which is so important for him and his constituents. Uh, as he will know, we are already making investments in the, uh, in the A5, but I've heard his case for the A5, uh, also promoted by Midlands Connect, and as has my right honourable friend, the Transport Secretary, and this case will be considered very carefully as we make decisions on further road investment. Dick Twig. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. A national audit report today says our armed forces are 8,200 people below their current requirements. The numbers leaving the armed forces has increased, and there are significant shortfalls in critical skills. But, but in the 2017 manifesto, the Tory party and the Prime Minister said we will attract and retain the best men and women for our armed forces. Isn't this just another broken promise? What's gone wrong? I say to the honourable gentleman that we do, of course, want to ensure that, we, particularly, that we are recruiting people with the skills that our armed forces need. Of course, as we look at the modernising defence programme, we are looking at the capabilities uh, that we require in order to uh, defend this country and face the threats that we face. And that will also involve looking at the particular skills that are necessary. Chris Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In the autumn budget, the Chancellor announced plans for a Mid Wales growth deal. In an area that has received historically low levels of investment, this vitally important initiative has been welcomed by everyone, especially the 90% of SMEs which are located in that region. Therefore, can my right honourable friend inform the House what progress is being made and also confirm that this welcome growth deal will not only enhance links between North and South Wales, but also connect Wales to the Midlands engine? 
Well, can I say to my Honourable Minister that we are actively considering the proposals for the Mid Wales growth deal. I know he's put a lot of effort into this, and particularly in bringing local partners together, including making important cross-border links for this area. Um, we believe that the best decisions, the best uh, proposals for what's going to work for Mid Wales will come from people who live, work and do business there. And so we will be offering help and support. And uh, UK government ministers in Wales have already met a variety of local partners to start this process off. But we're ambitious for Wales, and I'm keen to see every part of Wales seeing a city or growth deal. Jeff Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last month, the Prime Minister met six-year-old Alfie Dingley and his family at Downing Street, so I think she understands how vital it is that he gets access to the cannabis-based medicine uh, that treats his very rare and severe form of epilepsy. On on Monday, the Home Office received an application for a licence from Alfie's GP and a leading neurologist so he can access the medicine. So can the Prime Minister assure his family that she will do what she can to ensure the application is granted by the Home Office as quickly as possible so Alfie can get the help he desperately needs? Prime Minister. very pleased to be able to meet Alfie and his family. I know the sympathies of members across the whole House are with Alfie and his family as he undergoes treatment. I have written to the the family to reiterate our commitment to explore a range of of options for finding a solution for Alfie. Um, Of course, we want to ensure that people get the treatment that they need. It's also important that medicines are are properly and thoroughly tested. But I will certainly ensure that the Home Office looks at this application speedily. Stephen Kerr. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the the second largest donor to the global effort against malaria, the United Kingdom, since the year 2000, has helped cut malaria deaths by 60%, saving nearly 7 million lives. But much more needs to be done. Will the Prime Minister give her personal commitment to maintaining the UK's global leadership in respect to the fight against this deadly yet preventable uh, condition. Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, I, I thank my honourable friend for raising this issue, which is a very important one. It is one of the issues we will be ha, will focus on in this uh, Commonwealth Heads of Government Week. And yesterday, I called on my fellow Commonwealth leaders to join the UK in committing to halving uh, malaria by 2023. We are the second largest donor to the fight against malaria. We remain committed, as my right honourable friend, the uh, Foreign Minister, said in international development questions, to our five-year pledge. To to spend £500 million a year tackling it, and yesterday I announced the UK will commit a further £100 million to the Global Fund, and that has the aim of unlocking a further £100 million of investment from the private sector. John Speller. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Three months ago, following the Carillion collapse, building work stopped on the two-thirds finished Midland Metropolitan Hospital in Smethwick. On the 28th of February, I raised this with the Prime Minister, and she assured me that The Department of Health and Social Care and NHS Improvement are working with the Trust and the Private Finance Initiative Company so that work can recommence as soon as possible. Six weeks later, after endless dithering from those bodies, I have to ask the Prime Minister to get a grip of her ministers and officials and get a decision, get a deal and get this hospital built. Will she do that? As he says, I'm aware that he raised this issue with me before. He he may know that the uh, facts are that the contract between the Trust and the PFI company is still in place. 
So the PFI company is contractually obliged to manage the project and find another subcontractor who can continue to deliver the building work and the services. As the right honourable gentleman may know, even before the issue arose with Carillion, there were some delays to taking place to this particular project. Um, the Department for Health and Social Care is working actively on it, but I also, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, is doing so, and he's also been in discussions with the Mayor of the West Midlands, Andy Street, who has also been in discussions with the Trust. We recognise the level of concern that is, uh, that is being raised on this issue, and we are working to resolve it. Dame Caroline Spellman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will my right honourable friend join me in congratulating Team England on winning the second largest tally of gold medals at an overseas Commonwealth Games as they return on Saturday to Birmingham, which will be the next host of the Games? Prime Minister! Can I, can I say to my right honourable friend, I'm very, very happy to congratulate Team England on coming second in the medals table. Wait for it. I'm also very happy to congratulate Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland of whom had very good, uh, very good Commonwealth Games. It was an excellent Commonwealth Games. Australia put on a very good show, uh, and I'm very pleased to see that one of the last results was in the women's netball, which we beat Australia. Illy Reeves. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 2018 has been an unprecedented year for violent crime in London, and less than four months in, we've seen almost 60 murders already. The Metropolitan Police do a fantastic job, but Home Office documents show there is a correlation between reduction in police resources and rises in violent crime. Even after the preset increase, the Met will still need to make savings of £325 by 2021. Will the Prime Minister recognise that these chronic cuts are unsustainable and commit to reversing this harmful underfunding? Prime Minister... The Honourable Lady, that uh, money is being more money is being made available to police forces in the 18-19 year, uh, and uh, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has taken action in relation to the serious violence strategy that she has uh, that she has published. But I also have to say to the Honourable Lady, we do not say that there is a direct correlation or a direct causal factor between the number of officers on the ground and the, no- and the numbers of crime. And she may, she may wave her hand at that, but those aren't my words. They're the words of the Shadow Policing Minister. Yes. Ian Duncan-Smith. Mr Speaker, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my right honourable friend rightly made reference to yesterday's debate on anti-Semitism. Uh, I sat in the chamber and listened particularly to the two uh, appalling testimonies from the member for Liverpool Wavertree and particularly Stoke-on-Trent North. They were deeply moving. They were both horrifying in sense of the abuse that they have faced, but also uplifting in the sense of the bravery that they have shown in tackling their abusers. Can I ask my right friend, does she not agree with me what came out of that debate yesterday was that not only should every political party have absolutely no place for anybody who is an anti-Semite, but also, just as importantly, should kick out of the party any apologists for anti-Semites yeah. as well? Can I say I absolutely agree with my right honourable friend? I think it is incredibly important for us in political parties in this country to show a very clear signal that we will not accept, we will not tolerate anti-Semitism in any, in any form. And can I say I made reference to a number of speeches that were made yesterday. Can I also join my right honourable friend in commending those members of this House, particularly the members of Stoke, for Stoke-on-Trent North and Liverpool Wavertree, who have not only who have suffered incredible abuse as a result uh, of this anti-Semitism, but who also have shown incredible bravery 
in being willing to stand up and set that out to this House. Theirs was a fine example of the best of this House of Commons and the best of members of Parliament. This week, the UK becomes a chair of the Commonwealth. Many of us will have walked past demonstrations outside the Parliament of the issue of Kashmir. And I understand the Prime Minister will be presented with a petition this afternoon. The stalemate in bilateral talks between India and Pakistan has failed to deliver any solution to this major nuclear flashpoint. How will the Prime Minister use the UK's new position to boldly pursue peace and human rights violations in Jammu and Kashmir? I say to the Honourable Gentleman, he raises a question that I know uh, uh, has been raised in this House before, is of concern, and I'm sure will be to not just him but a number of his constituents. We continue to take the view that the best resolution of this issue is for India and Pakistan themselves to come together and resolve that issue. That is going to, that will be the way to resolve it that will actually ensure the sustainability of a resolution. Douglas Ross. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. RBS recently announced plans to reduce the number of mobile banking visits to Dufton in Murray. Uh, Following strong representations from myself, Dufton and District Community Council and Speyside Community Council, the bank confirmed yesterday they wouldn't go ahead with their plans. Will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming this, but does she agree that RBS need to engage more with local communities, because had they done so, they would have realised how unacceptable these proposals were? Yes. Well, I'm very happy to join with my honourable friend in welcoming the decisions that's been taken by RBS, but I also want to commend him for his efforts on behalf of his constituents in Dufftown. Uh, these are commercial issues for the banks, but we have been very clear that in making such decisions, the banks do need to consider very carefully the impact on people and their access to services. Mr. Varendra Sharma. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Following India's commitment by Prime Minister Mr. Modi and Finance Minister Mr. Arun Jaitley to end TB by 2025, could the Prime Minister commit to encouraging other Commonwealth leaders at the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting this week to make similar commitments in advance of the UN high-level meeting on TB? And will she attend to show Britain's continued support for the fight against TB. The, the, Prime Minister. the honourable gentleman raises a very important issue, and uh, we are happy through various channels to ensure that we are encouraging others to follow the example that India has shown in relation to TB. This is something that uh, uh, at one stage obviously was uh, uh, eradicated here in the UK, but there are other countries around the world where we do need to ensure that uh, action is being taken. Main. Mr Speaker, as the Prime Minister said, um, unemployment is at a 43-year low and investment in British-UK industries is actually at a high, including the tech industry. Would she, on her way to Carlisle, come and visit Imagination Technologies, who has had an £8 billion investment that shows the confidence that the overseas technologies have in our own tech industry? Mr I I think that might be a bit of a detour on my way to Carlisle. Um, But I I certainly support what my honourable friend is saying about the importance of high-tech businesses and about the importance of companies like Imagination Technologies and the work that they are doing. Ben Lake. Mr Speaker, the Cardigan coastline is among the most stunning of the British Isles, and Cardigan Bay has sustained communities on the value of its beauty and bounty. 
the lifeboat station at New Quay has valiantly safeguarded those who venture out into the bay for 150 years, but it is possible that from 2020, Ceredigion will no longer have an all-weather lifeboat. Would the Prime Minister agree that the invaluable work of the RNLI serves as a fourth emergency service, and that as such, it is essential the coastline of Ceredigion, like every other populated coastline, has access to the service, whatever the weather. Right, honourable gentlemen, that obviously um, search and rescue at sea is provided in a n- by a number of uh, organisations. Of course, the Coast Guard do, and uh, the Coast Guard uh, and RNLI. But I would say RNLI does have a proud tradition. I think we should be very grateful to the record that the RNLI has shown in uh, search and rescue at sea. It is obviously independent. It decides where it w- thinks it is best to put its resources. But we are supporting the work of independent lifeboat charities through our Resco- Bo- Rescue Boat Grant Fund, and that's allocated over £3.5 million since 2014 to increase capacity and resilience um, by providing new boats and equipment. Evans. Mr Speaker, um, the Commonwealth is a wonderful organisation, but too many Commonwealth countries have anti-gay legislation on their statute books of course, a lot of them are a legacy to colonial days when Britain was a very different country. What message does she have to Commonwealth leaders this week about gay rights, but more importantly, that message going to gay people in those countries who are suffering because of that legislation? Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, my right honourable friend raises an important point, and uh, we have a special responsibility to help change hearts and minds on these issues within the Commonwealth. I addressed the Commonwealth Forum yesterday. And when I did so, I said that across the Commonwealth, discriminatory laws that were often made many years ago do continue to affect the lives of many people. They're failing to protect women and girls, and they're criminalising same-sex relations. Many such laws were put in place, often put in place by this country, and I deeply regret their legacy of discrimination, violence and even death that persists today. I think as a family of Commonwealth nations, we must respect one another's customs and traditions, but do so in a manner which is consistent with our common value of equality. And the UK, uh, the message I gave yesterday is we stand ready to support any Commonwealth member wanting to reform outdated legislation that makes such discrimination possible. Frank Field. When the Prime Minister meets Mr Modi as part of the Commonwealth gatherings, might she seek to understand why India is so, relatively speaking, successful in countering child trafficking and draw lessons for this country? Well, can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, I have already met uh, Prime Minister Modi. I met him this morning. I raised the issue of human trafficking and the work that's being done in India, and we will be setting up discussions between our officials. Bob Blackman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I, can, I, can I say, we, London welcomes our good friend, Prime Minister Modi, today. Will she take the opportunity to condemn absolutely the mobile billboards that are going around London attacking our good friend, Prime Minister Modi? And will she congratulate and thank the contribution made by the 1.7 million Indian diaspora to the work of this country? Prime Minister. Can I say to my honourable friend that... Uh, India is indeed a good friend of the United Kingdom, and the Indian diaspora here in the UK play an enormous role and make an enormous contribution to our society and to our economy. And I'm very happy to join my honourable friend in, uh, in congratulating them, thanking them, and indeed encouraging uh, that to continue into the future. And we, when I spoke to Prime Minister Modi, we discussed how we can encourage and increase the links and development between our two countries. Mr Nigel Dodds. 
Uh, the vile online and social media abuse suffered by female politicians in particular, which was uh, movingly highlighted in the debate yesterday, but also by recent events at the weekend back home in Northern Ireland, uh, is, is, a, is a testimony to how this must be tackled head-on. Can the Prime Minister assure us that steps will be taken to bring social media companies and platforms to account and that the Wild West culture of anything goes is brought to an end as quickly as possible. The, the, the right honourable gentleman has raised a very important point about how these platforms can be used for uh, the sort of abuse that we heard of in the chamber here tonight, but as, uh, last night, but as he said, has also uh, been raised in Northern Ireland very, in the last uh, matter of days. Uh, we are working with the social media companies. Good work has been done with them on another number of aspects, such as child abuse on these platforms, but we are also as, uh, we're continuing to work with them on these wider issues, and we are also looking at the issue of liability for social media companies. They're not publishers, but on the other hand, they're not just platforms, and we need, we're looking at that issue urgently. Steve Double. Free and fair elections are the foundation of our democracy. The Prime Minister, I'm sure, will be aware of events that happened in the Gower constituency in last year's election, where the Labour activist Dan Evans is admitting spreading lies and uh, libelous accusations against our former colleague Byron Davies in order to influence the outcome of the election. It appears his efforts uh, worked. Does the Prime Minister believe that the leadership of the Labour Party needs to make very clear that our democracy has no place for this sort of behaviour? And does she believe that the honourable thing would be for the new incumbent of that seat to resign and fight a free and honest by-election? Can I say to my honourable friend that, of course, our former colleague Byron Davies has received an apology, a donation I understand has been made to charity, but of course our former colleague lost his job as a result of the action that was, uh, that was taken. And can I, can I also say, can I, can I also say to my honourable friend that across this House people will talk across this House people will talk about free and fair elections. That's what we believe in as a democracy. But political parties don't need just to talk about free and fair elections. They need to ensure they put it into practice. Debbie Abraham. Last week, Shop Direct announced that they were closing all of their Greater Manchester sites with the loss of 2,000 jobs, including nearly 1,400 in my constituency uh, in Shaw. Uh, this was without, without prior warning or discussion with staff, unions, Oldham Council or even myself. Given that this is about the ascendance of automation, what specific measures is the Prime Minister undertaking to support my constituents? And will she meet with me and my colleagues to discuss this, as well as the longer-term, more general impacts of automation on the labour market? Yes, well, can I say to the Honourable Lady that obviously this is a time of great concern for the shop direct workers and their families in, in Greater Manchester. <laughs> and the DWP and Job Centre Plus are working with the company to understand the level of support that is required for employees, and DWP stands ready to put in place their rapid response service to support any workers who are made redundant, helping them back into employment as quickly as possible. There are a number of ways in which Job Centre Plus can support workers, and they will uh, make, be ensuring that they are doing that in, in uh, this instance. She raises a wider issue 
about the impact of automation on jobs. Uh, looking at that uh, question is a matter that we are doing and uh, looking at as part of our industrial strategy, and I will ask the Business Secretary to meet with her to discuss that. Pauline Latham. Mr Speaker, malaria has been mentioned by several other members in this chamber today. Um, in her conversations with the Prime Minister of Canada this week, will the Prime Minister be discussing how the G7 can help drive progress towards a malaria-free world? Well, I uh, thank my friend for raising that. I haven't yet met the uh, Prime, Minister of Trudeau, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau this week, um, but this is certainly an issue that we have made sure is here, being spoken about here at the Commonwealth Heads of Government, and we will uh, raise that within the G7 context. Stella Creasy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 2009, Michelle Samara Weira was raped and murdered. Since 2012, Aman Vias has been avoiding extradition for this and eight other charges of sexual violence against women in Walthamstow. There have been 47 hearings to date, at which the judge didn't show up for seven of them, and seven different judges have been appointed. When she talks to her good friend, Prime Minister Modi, whilst he's here in London, will the Prime Minister commit to raising this case with him, asking India to take it seriously, so that we can finally get justice for Michelle? Prime Minister. Uh, The Honourable Lady, I have already met uh, Prime Minister Modi for our bilateral discussions. Um, There is a number of... uh, issues of of extradition between the two countries of the United Kingdom and India. I think what we we do raise a number of of cases with the Indian government, as I did this morning. Uh, It is important that we recognise the independence of of the judiciary in both countries. Order. 